I don't think it's a secret at this point that I grew up a little bit differently than most people. In the early 90s, kids watched Saturday morning cartoons or played Nintendo or Super Nintendo or went to the movies or listened to their favorite rock or alternative rock bands. I listened to a lot of books on audio, radio plays, Bible stories. I sometimes played games on the family computer. See, growing up, we didn't watch TV. Well, we didn't even have one. We, we didn't have a Nintendo. Uh, we didn't have any rock records. Well, my dad apparently had a whole bunch of rock records in, his, in the basement under the stairs, but I didn't find out about that until a lot later. And it wasn't because we were poor. See, a lot of my childhood activities were predicated on one goal. Do whatever we need to do to keep ourselves from burning forever in eternity in hell while being tortured by demons. And that might sound a little bit silly, or par for the course, depending on your religious views. As a small child, we went to a Salvation Army church, which I guess was as close to a normal church as you could get back then. But a few years later, my parents felt convicted to go to a more intense church, for lack of a better description. They just felt like the old church we went to was just a little bit watered down, and they wanted a more relevant message. So we switched to the church that my grandma went to, and it was a very extreme Pentecostal church. And when I say extreme, I mean really extreme. Some of my earliest recollections of that church involve elderly people throwing their walkers and canes down on the floor and screaming incoherently and running laps around the chapel. It was absolutely wild and terrifying if you're a small child. And what was equally terrifying to me was the preacher's strong focus on certain subject matter like eternal torture and the consequences of our sins and the horrifying torture world that God was prepared to send us to if we didn't follow his word to the exact letter. If the preacher did give messages on hope or compassion, it's possible that maybe I'm just not remembering them. Because honestly, it's hard to remember anything but the fire, the torture, the demons, the whole kind of canon of the events in the Bible, the horrible things that happened to people that disobeyed God, especially in the Old Testament. And this was terrifying to me, you know, when you're like six or seven years old. And to this day, I still get kind of nervous whenever I see people dressed in traditional church lady clothes because I am actually low-key afraid of them randomly screaming nonsense with no warning or deciding to start running around for no reason. There was like a literal cringe factor there because as a kid watching this go down in real time to the soundtrack of church music, I was always afraid that I would hear a bone snap and somebody would have to immediately stop what they were doing and go to the hospital. And I, I recall this happening a few times where somebody would get hurt, but of course that was all explained away as them not having enough faith. And I'm, I'm still jumpy nowadays because of it. Just just how randomly things would occur. Like, like people standing up in church mid-sermon and just screaming tongues, supposedly in another language, although there was really never anybody present to translate what they were saying. And if you need a visual, uh, it would be like an 80-year-old grandma in church clothes just randomly pops up and starts yelling right next to you, or behind you, or in front of you, all to, like, creepy organ music. It was awful, and it always surprised me, and it always scared me. I remember waking up at night screaming and crying and sweating from intense dreams about being stabbed by demons in the dark while on fire. And I, on that note, I think I need to make a Patreon episode explaining how this concept really primed me up for being a fan of the Doom games. 
because in those games you have a shotgun to deal with the problem, at the very least. I got used to this over time and the message sort of started to sink in. You kind of get used to it after a while, right? Uh, the concept of boiling frogs, uh, which we talked about in the Electus on Fire episode. And the message that I got used to that sunk in is that we were right and everybody else was wrong. And not only were they wrong, but they would pay for it dearly in the afterlife for not following God. It made me super judgy and prideful, and it made me feel like I knew a secret that everybody else refused to learn. And while that may explain my attraction to the spiritual subject matter of this album we're talking about, it doesn't explain how I became so fascinated with dark and morbid lyrics. It's more like I was just introduced to them for the first time, like in a church, which is weird in and of itself. So how did I go from having nightmares and intense fear about this type of subject matter to starting to actually like it and start seeking it out in my entertainment? And I think I have the answer, although I have a few different sort of avenues on this, because I think from having my own kids, I think kids are more drawn to morbid topics than most of us are willing to admit. I mean, I, I wouldn't have thought so either until I kind of saw how my kids would have overall curiosity about the world around them, and it would lead them to asking questions that are a bit on the morbid or creepy side. And to further illustrate this point, uh, my daughters are going to perform for you one of their favorite songs to sing in our car. Tell me if you know this one. Great green globs of greasy grimy gopher guts, mutilated monkey meat, chopped up parakeet, french fried eyeballs swimming in a bowl of blood, eat it without a spoon, burp. And that's a pretty popular song with little kids. I mean, I sang it as a little kid, to the absolute eye-rolling frustration of my parents. I think as a kid I was very drawn to these morbid topics. And it's definitely a chicken or the egg kind of situation. Keep in mind, I mainly grew up in the 90s, and that was a decade which introduced a lot more violent art, comic books, movies, video games. In case anybody has forgotten about Doom or Mortal Kombat, they had definitely debuted in the early 90s. And of course, music. Extreme music. And the real question of this episode is, was I always destined to be a fan of extreme forms of entertainment? Or did I develop a fascination with these topics due to my church's fascination with death and judgment? And it's kind of a tough question to wrestle with because I think like most things, it's really a combination of both. Maybe one simple origin story isn't going to be enough to truly explain it. But I think that the perfect glue to really tie these two origins together is in the 1992 Christian death metal classic, Scrolls of the Megaloth by Mortification. And now obviously I wasn't listening to this album in 1992 because I was six years old, so like any good six-year-old, I was really listening to Altars of Madness by Morbid Angel. How about you? Anybody? <laughs> Seriously though, I didn't hear Mortification until I was in high school. Uh, my friend Will showed me their Hammer of God CD, and to be frankly honest, I thought it sucked. It doesn't really suck, because I hadn't really heard a lot of albums like that, but compared to Squirrels of the Megaloth, it sounds like Baby's first metal band. I, I don't know, I was really into Metallica at the time, it's complicated. At the time, I was new to the after-school youth group scene, because this is, like I said before, this is in high school. Uh, there was a period later in my childhood that my family decided to leave that crazy church, and we sort of normalized out over time. And uh, I actually got into religion again, because the people that were at my school that had like the prayer meetings and prayer groups and stuff, 
they talked about God in a way that was much more loving and forgiving. And after the childhood that I'd had, that message was very refreshing to me. So I joined up with the Christian kids at my school. And after a few years of us not going to church at all, it was it was kind of nice sort of to be around people that were like-minded, but also still like showing me new things. And uh, they had a group where we would get together and hold Bible studies and have prayer meetings and things like that. And it was actually a lot of fun. It was a very stark difference from my church growing up. And I remember going to a Christian music festival every year called Agape Fest. I think that was in Greenville, Illinois. I think it was put on by Greenville College. And I went with that group, and there was a guy there that was selling Christian metal CDs. And I kind of looked through all of them. I recognized the name Mortification right away because Will had showed me Hammer of God. And there was probably a whole bunch of other really good stuff in there that I kind of wish that I had picked up then. I just didn't know because it was like it was like stuff like Tourniquet and Deliverance and Crimson Thorn and like a lot of those albums that I would end up getting later. But the only album they had by Mortification was an album called Triumph of Mercy. It's the one with the blue cover with Steve Rowe like laying on the front. There's like this big angel. It's kind of cool. Well, that one had more of an extreme, like an extreme sound. Like it was, it was largely death metal based. It had growling vocals, but it just, I don't know. It didn't really sound like Cannibal Corpse or any of the other death metal bands that I was sort like peripherally familiar with. But lyrically, it was more about like the lead singer slash bass player Steve Rowe and his battle with cancer. And I thought it was kind of cool, but it didn't really impress me too much musically. Lyrically, it really impressed me because the focus of the album was about recovery from cancer and how God had healed him. And it sort of made me curious about the context of death metal with Christian lyrics. What attracted me to heavy metal in the first place was its focus on dark subject matter. So see, it's kind of a chicken or the egg. Like, did I like dark subject matter because I liked metal, or did I like metal because I like dark subject matter? It's kind of impossible to know, really. But if I got to go tell my parents it was Christian, then I could sort of get away with having records like this and listening to them, like, out loud. And it didn't occur to me until about a year later to see if this band Mortification had ever put out any other albums. And the internet was much, much different back then. I know I sort of bring this up all the time because in case you forgot that I'm having a midlife crisis, you know, I, I just want to be here to remind you that, that I am. And, um, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't just listen to records back then. Right? Like, you could only see pictures of them. You could read reviews about them. I think that's largely why I'm so obsessed with music reviews even now. Because, like, if you think about it, they are kind of pointless because anybody could just pull up any album and listen to it and tell you whether they liked it or not. I do think reviews are a little bit more important than, than that. But that's all I had back then. Like, you could sort of... We didn't have DSL back then, but... You, you could maybe get, like, a minute-long clip of a song that was probably really low quality playing out of the speakers on your, like, yellowing gateway computer. It just really wasn't... The internet wasn't a great place to listen to music, but you could read a lot about music. So that's, that's pretty much what I did. I remember going to a website called rowproductions.com, which was the original website for Mortification. And then it was then that I found out that Mortification had a bunch of albums from before Hammer of God. Hammer of God and Triumph of Mercy were the two that I had. And I couldn't believe it. I mean, it was just a whole page of albums. And I was like, oh my God, like, how, like what are all these, What are, you know, it immediately piqued my curiosity because I was like, where, where, 
what do all these albums sound like? Do they sound the same as the ones that I have? Because if they do, then you know I'll probably just stop checking out this band. But no, they they actually were supposedly based on the CD reviews that I could find were were all different. And with a lot of people saying that their older stuff was way better than their newer stuff. But I had no idea what they sounded like. So, you know, I kind of just looked at the pictures. And the album that I was instantly drawn to was Scrolls of the Megaloth. The cover of Scrolls features the aforementioned Dusty Scrolls. Assuming it's the Dead Sea Scrolls, but I'm not entirely sure on that. But around the scrolls are a whole bunch of cobwebs, as well as some skulls and rib cages and these kind of like weird tentacles on the floor. Yeah, so this is a punch-in a little bit later. In hindsight, the tentacles that I just talked about, they're probably just tree roots. Just just wanted to throw that in there. Floating around above all of this is the blood-red mortification logo, complete with cobwebs and skulls, but also three prominent right-side-up crosses as an outward display of the band's faith. And it's a very classic-looking early death metal album cover, and I was absolutely obsessed with it. You know, I... I right-clicked it, made it my desktop background. I just thought it was so cool. I could just sit there and look at it forever. And I finally was able to obtain a copy of the album proper, which is, you know, if you grew up in a religious household like I did, even though we weren't, like, overly religious then, the idea of convincing my dad to put his credit card into a website called eBay to order an album and have it mailed, and I think... I think at the time it actually was mailed from overseas. The band is from Australia, but I think we I think I got it from somewhere in Europe. And somehow I was able to actually order this and, and have it delivered to my house because of the whole but dad, it's Christian heavy metal, you know. Hopefully he doesn't like look at the album cover, right? But when I finally heard the C D and I popped it in, this thing completely destroyed any expectations I had for it. Based on the music that I'd heard from the band's later career, I like I couldn't believe how heavy this record was. And there's times now that I still kind of don't believe it. Like, yeah, I mean, there's obviously modern death metal is going to blow this out of the water any day, but it still holds up surprisingly well this many years later. And people love throwback stuff. So, I mean, it's the entire basis of these types of podcasts, right? Like, you know, you're going to see this episode and say, I remember Scrolls of the Megaloth, and you're going you're gonna to click on it. So Scrolls of the Megaloth opens with a song called Nocturnal. And it opens in the middle of the woods at night, you know, just in case the vibe wasn't creepy enough just from the album cover. And you hear all the sounds of the wilderness, including insects, birds, creepy crawlies, even wolves howling. And yet, ever so slightly, you hear the sound of drums in the distance getting closer. It's just like, bump, 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 and just louder and louder and louder, like like mortification is about to creep up on you in the woods but not really creep up on you because you can hear them coming a mile away because in case you didn't know that it, it, they're very loud then the music just blasts in and you hear that voice Steve Rowe delivers some of the deepest and most intense death metal growls I've ever heard up to that point in my life. Or as Steve likes to call them in the liner notes of the album, his grind baritone vocals of extreme reality. And what follows after that song is nearly an hour full of grinding, blasting, brooding, and all matter of guttural noises. I mean, we're talking deep death growls, high-pitched, raspy black metal vocals, there's even moments where it just sounds like he's belching into the mic. 
and I, I love it. So many external noises are present at various points in these songs, like distant church bells, creepy organs, really loud, intense wind, random breaking glass. Hell, during Eternal Lamentation, they just fade in the sound of people screaming in agony while being burned alive while playing an extremely epic doom riff. The whole experience is just profound and captivating in a way. Like, even if you're terrified the entire time that you're listening to this record, you will certainly be entertained. And I think what really set Scrolls apart from a lot of death metal in 1992, and disclaimer, I can't account for everything that came out in 1992, just, just the albums that I've heard from that year, is just how extreme the vocals and blasting drums really are. There's another band that's mortification adjacent called Paramecium. They're like a death doom band who has also had far more extreme vocals than a lot of other bands from that time period. There was just something more extreme about these Christian bands from Australia in the early 90s. I mean, maybe it was just those two, but whatever. In 2022, I'm listening to the remastered version, and it absolutely destroys my speakers every time. Like, this thing just bumps. And I don't know if it's the remaster because I can't afford the or the original release. I mean, even the one that I ordered for my dad, like, you know, when I was in high school, was, was like a re-release. The original version of this, I think I, I saw it for like 40 bucks just for the CD. So I am interested to kind of see what that one sounds like in comparison. But this one destroys my speakers. Like, I can, I can literally feel every single drum hit whenever I'm listening to it on my stereo. Jason Sherlock played drums on this, and he's probably the best death metal drummer that you may or may not have ever heard of. His performance on this album is completely devastating. His kick drum control and precision is absolutely inhuman. The dude is like a massive paper shredder of death. And this is one of the first albums I ever listened to that had real blast beats on it. And it made me appreciate drums and metal much more than I ever did before. Before that, it was all about the guitar and vocals. Jason also went on to play in Paramecium, who I just mentioned, and as well as Horde. I'm not even going to tell you about Horde. Just go listen to it. Tell me what you think. Email me at dftdungeon at gmail.com. Tell me what you thought of Horde. And he's currently in a death metal band called Revulsed, who is absolutely incredible if you're into that sort of thing. Michael Carlisle played guitar, uh, and, and he just throws down some blistering, heavy, and aggressive riffs. Like, and the dude will just literally switch from intense grindcore, like really fast parts, to more like mid-paced, like sort of thrash metal influenced riffing. And then he'll just like slow way down and do some like death doom stuff. And it's wild just how much variety is actually here. And for a record that the uninformed would describe as, well, mostly sounding the same, I mean, the vocals essentially are one tone from start to finish. Although Jason Sherlock does throw in some really rad, raspy, black metal sounding vocals. And it actually has a really cool synced up effect with Steve's super deep vocals. Uh, I'll, just, I'll just have to show you the, the opening part of Terminate Damnation. It's completely rad. There's another really cool moment in the 10 minute closer called Ancient Prophecy where they pitch shift Steve's voice to be much, much lower than before and it just sounds like pure evil. It almost, it sounds like, like if you're like going into a building at night and somebody has left a tape recorder, like a battery powered tape recorder, like playing a tape back, but the batteries are almost dead and it just gets like really slow and terrifying. It, it sounds like that. It, it'd be interesting to see how they achieve that effect. 
because I don't think it's just straight pitch shifting. It actually sounds like they like really slowed the tape down or like that they, they, they recorded it on something else. And anyway, sorry, I could wonder about that forever. But it's it's terrifying in a really satisfying way. And I promise you I will play that clip later on in the episode. But there's just so much variety in the actual songwriting. Because other death metal bands like Death, Cannibal Corpse, Carcass, and Obituary, those are all very extreme great bands and they largely innovated this sound. While I don't think that Mortification is more original than those bands, despite their difference in worldview, I do think that they are much better at traditional songwriting. Like Mortification's most popular song is the title track, Scrolls of the Megaloth, and it has defined verses and choruses and is one of the most catchy and instantly likable death metal songs I've ever heard. But the real reason I'm here is that the most defining feature is just how gruesome some of the lyrics on this album truly are. Like, there's always been Christian heavy metal bands, but the idea of a Christian band putting out a legit death metal album was a fairly new concept in the early 90s. The only other Christian death metal album that came out around that same time that I can remember was Living Sacrifice is Non-Existent. But that did technically come out three months later, and while musically is very savage, was not nearly this gruesome lyrically. And, you know, what do I mean by legit death metal album? I mean that the music was toe-to-toe, just as good, just as heavy, and just as extreme as, you know, the other death metal bands that were out at the time. But then, like, also lyrically, like, because people make jokes about how all Christian bands, you know, they're growling, growling, growling about the healing love of Jesus. That's not really the case here on Scrolls of the Megaloth. And uh, I'm going to read you my favorite lyrical highlights from this record, like, sort of in a row, and then we're going to talk about a little bit of that. So this is from the song Terminate Damnation. He goes, Maggots infest the minds of unbelievers in the form of unholiness. Deception they feed upon while unaware of the death that will take place. And then from Necromanticide you have rotting corpses buried deep, decomposing in a mangled heap, unable to speak at all, only demons answer their call. Uh, Also in that song, he says, I am no relation of yours, but one spawned from the depths of Hades, whose task is to deceive you. And that song is just straight up terrifying. That's that's the one that starts with the wind and the breaking glass. And, you know, again, it's not, oh, you know, this is uh, the, the, the cleansing love of Christ. No, like, this song is literally about, like, anytime you're talking to dead loved ones or spirits in a Ouija board, you're actually talking directly to demons. And the demons are going to invade you. And it, and it is absolutely horrifying. And I, so I guess that's sort of what I mean by legit. <laughs> like a legit death metal album. Because it terrifies me in a way that bands like Cannibal Corpse also terrify me. But it also has this, like, sort of spiritual aspect to it which makes it even scarier in a way because like I've, I've grown up hearing those things pretty much my entire life a couple of other good ones i want to read there is from inflamed those who died without christ's blood who followed the damned eternal liar will burn forever without escape from the inextinguishable fire that's pretty metal and then we've got from ancient prophecy behold the prophecy revealed before you testifies of blood spilt from butchered arteries mangled beyond human likeness shredded meat hanging from his skeletal cage 
This blood spraying from a mass of twisted flesh brings forth redemption to partake you must receive. Do it now before you die or pay the price. Make a step toward God or be destroyed. So do you see what I meant about having a high and mighty sort of judgy attitude from a religious perspective? That's why this appealed to me in the way that it did, because I was already focused on morbid subject matter. You know, so of course I'm going to love all the stuff about blood and butchered arteries and meat hanging from a skeletal cage. I'm going to love all of that stuff, like unironically, but then I'm also going to feel like, yeah, man, because this is true, because this is what I grew up believing. I got one more. Uh, this is from Eternal Lamentation. The smoke of torment forever arises. Surrounded by screaming, I gnash my teeth in agony. My soul's tormented, body cries aloud. I am trapped within the walls of death. Which it just sort of reminds me of like, I don't know, I have a visual of just being in a maze. Okay, it's a visual of Doom. I'm not gonna, I was gonna try to be artistic with this description, but like, I used to play a lot of Doom on my computer while listening to this album, and they sync up really, really well. And speaking of syncing up, I have to throw this in there because my friend Buddy, who's also a huge Scrolls head, he wanted me to mention this. This is something that we did a long time ago, back when Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, first came out. There's a scene at the beginning of The Two Towers where Gandalf is fighting the Balrog. It's like a, like a flashback. If you sync up the song Scrolls of the Megaloth to the very beginning of that movie, theatrical release only, you absolutely get to watch Gandalf fighting the Balrog to Scrolls of the Megaloth, and it is one of the most epic experiences pretty much ever. That's just a little extra tidbit if you, if you really want to get the full potential out of this album. Back on track. Those lyrics are pretty metal, right? I mean, I, I think it's super interesting and is largely why I really wanted to talk about this album in particular is because it is so unique to metal in general. But more personally, it's unique to my life situation. Because with growing up in an extreme and judgment-focused church and being terrified of demons and hellfire at night as a child, over time I developed a strange fascination with those topics, much the same way Bruce Wayne was terrified of bats as a child and he eventually made a bat into his whole identity. And I largely did the same thing with like dark subject matter and death metal. And an album like Scrolls mixed with a religious and moral high judgment attitude with the edgy and angst-fueled aesthetic of death metal, in a strange way, this album made me like the ultimate metal elitist when checking out new bands. I mean, elitism is nothing new to metal fans, but this took things to another level. Like, your standard metal elitist judges a band based on technical skill, level of popularity, and their level of overall complexity, and how much they compare to similar bands of their genre. For me, I did all these things as well, but with an added layer of lyrical dissection that is really not common with other metal fans. It wasn't enough for a band to just have good music. They had to have artistic but still very Christ-focused lyrics for me to like them. A band could get passed over if they had good music, but their lyrics were too vague, and I didn't see them pointing enough at Jesus. But then a band could also get passed over if their lyrics were too basic, and there wasn't enough variation in subject matter. It was wild, and even though I've largely moved on from that mindset when it comes to enjoying music, I am well aware that this kind of behavior still exists with Christian metal fans. Like, you can go on any Christian metal fan, like, Facebook group, and you will see sort of stuff like that. Or an endless debate on whether a band is actually Christian or, or not. And even though I don't personally consider myself to be super religious, 
I still find myself returning to this album because it reminds me so much of my childhood. Even though I wouldn't say that a lot of my experiences growing up were objectively good, when I'm listening to this album, I sort of just removed the parts of my childhood that I don't like and replaced them with the cool things in death metal, and it just mixes itself up perfectly with scrolls. Instead of old ladies running around the church and screaming, I think of mosh pits and circle pits. Instead of people shouting random gibberish and making noise around me all the time, I think of blast beats and sick riffs. Instead of an old man shouting at me from a pulpit, I think of Steve Rowe growling the exact same message in his terrifying demon voice. It's a much better replacement memory, and it still remains as one of my favorite albums to this very day. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of DFT's Dungeon, talking all about Scrolls of the Megaloth by Mortification. This is an album that I could literally talk about forever, and if you guys want to hear what I think of a lot of the other Mortification albums, you can definitely go back to my old podcast, Discography Discussion, and check out episode number two, where we talked about every single record by this band. They're a band that I still love talking about, and I love collecting all of their stuff. And kind of like what I said during the uh, during the episode, really just seeing all of those album covers like right in front of me on that website all those years ago, I had this intense desire to collect all of the Mortification albums. And so far I've got all of them except for maybe like the last couple that have come out. And hopefully I'll end up getting those in the future. But anyway, enough about me. Uh, thank you again for, for listening to this episode and for checking out the podcast and thank you especially if you subscribe to it or told your friends about it or shared it or or left a review for it just thank you so much for that type of interaction guys if you want to get a hold of me the best place to do so would be on the dft dungeon discord server there'll be a link in the show notes that will take you right there we have a lot of fun in discord talking about music and talking about bands and sharing memes and stuff like that uh, if you want to follow me on social media, I'm on Twitter at DFT9000. I'm on Instagram at DFT Dungeon. I'm on Facebook at facebook.com slash DFT's Dungeon. And you can always go to my website at www.dftdungeon.com. You can find me on Gabber Media where the podcast is hosted. And uh, obviously, if you're listening to this, you probably know that the podcast is available on your favorite podcast streaming service. So uh, we are almost halfway through season one, and so we have about 11 more episodes to go before I take a month-long break. I just wanted to throw that out there, that that is something that will happen here in about 11 episodes, so be ready. I can't wait for you guys to hear some of the episodes that I have coming up, some of which are already recorded and I'm still sort of working on. So yeah, I'm real. I'm really stoked about that. Um, if you guys want early access to the episodes, you can sign up for Patreon right now. I will admit that that perk is a little bit slow going. I have been sick. I had COVID, and I, it, it sort of threw me back a little bit as far as being able to deliver the episodes much faster for early access. But I am working on it, and you guys will start getting those shows much earlier. I just want to thank everybody who has signed up for Patreon. That's been immensely helpful for me as far as getting this podcast off the ground. So I hope to hear from you guys soon. I hope to see you on Discord or online. And uh, if I don't see you before then, I will see you on the next episode. <laughs>